All right, you guys sound great. That that bass line just envelops the place, doesn't it? The world was meant to sing bass. Amen. I'm convinced heaven will be a place of bass. Amen. Yes, that's right. Bass is what holds it all together. Anyway, this is not a soliloquy about music. It could be, but it's not. Um, open up to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, we're going to be in 3, 14 through 21. Um, if you are taking notes and you want to know exactly what we're going to be studying tonight, um, as you prepare and open your Bibles and get all set, let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we get to sing glory and praise to you. We thank you that these uh, verses are about us as we trust in Christ Jesus. We're thankful that you give us power um, by your word and through your spirit to be radically changed from within. I pray that um, this message would be encouraging to that end, that it would be for your glory and for the transformation of your people, these students. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I used to really love home improvement shows. It looked so fun. It looked so easy. It looked so seamless. 30 minutes and you, my friend, could find a new house, demo that house completely, put in all new fixtures, put in some, you know, recessed lighting. Some backsplash, make it a little bit of a, you know, open concept. And bam, in half an hour, they'd be pulling away the trucks, and there is your brand new 1975 house. And it looks great. It looks wonderful. It looks magical. But like I said, I used to like uh, home improvement shows. And then White Lane happened. Then I discovered what a demo day requires of you. It doesn't just require your sweat and your strength. It requires your soul, doesn't it? It's not as fun. It's not as fun as uh, those people make it look. Yeah, you get to smash up walls, but then you got to drag all that smashed up wall out of there and throw it away and that's not so fun at all especially when I'm doing demo day with a bunch of students not you of course just a bunch of other students who don't like to drag all that stuff away I'm the one that's always dragging that stuff away demo day is hard you need resources to remodel a place you can't just walk in and somebody just magically provides you some money like they show you on TV it seems like you've got $80,000 you can do anything you want with really I'll just take this house no it's not like that you actually have to have your own money to remodel places and, and renovation gets expensive quick and you have to have a lot of commitment and to be quite frank you have to have a lot of strength You have to have a lot of strength, because it's going to take a long time, and it's going to be a lot of work. Remodel projects are hard work. And so I'm thankful when it comes to the home improvement project that is our life, that we have tremendous resources and power and strength to complete that work. That's what this passage is about. It's about God's enabling power to transform your life. It's an incredible passage. It's breathtaking. 
and it is a doxology. We're in this series called Best for Last, and the, the idea behind this series is Sometimes Paul really packs in what he's been saying, this whole letter, in this prayer-praise formula. And, and this is meant to kind of pull everything together, like the end of a symphony, like the end of a movie, when all the music is playing. It all comes together in your mind in the form of prayer and praise to God. And, and we, want to, we want to dig into these prayers and these praises to God because we want sin to be eradicated in our life. And we want God to be exalted in our life. And that happens through praise. And that is what we have here before us. A splendid passage of Scripture on God's powerful plan for divine enablement. That's what we're going to see here. God's powerful plan for divine enablement. Let's read it here. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to study this as God's powerful plan of divine enablement. God's powerful plan to transform you from the inside out and make you into what he has called you to be. To enable you to walk worthy in Christ Jesus. We have a high and glorious and splendid call that we are given in the gospel. And God has powerful supply, powerful means to enable that and accomplish that in our lives. Let's look at this here. We're going to look at it in... Uh, a few different parts. Um, this, by the way, this passage is um, very complex. It is one sentence, at least from 14 all the way down to 19. That is one sentence. It has 86 Greek words. It has. Um, it is basically a breathtaking chain of purpose statements, a purpose stating, statement leading to another purpose statement, leading to another purpose statement. And these are all statements of prayer and praise to God. This is very complex, and it is all dependent on itself. So it's, it's, um, it's pretty difficult, I would say, to understand in one sense, because you have to really think about it and, and make sure you keep your thoughts in line. And we're going to try to keep our thoughts in line tonight by just trying to follow this as kind of like a plan, a plan that you follow for divine enablement. So let's let's look at it. Point number one for God's powerful plan of divine enablement is this, uh, be 
flattened by your task. Be flattened by your task. Now, where you are in Ephesians is very important to understand. Paul is about to transition from talking... Are you ready for this, Meg? About one thing to another thing. Did you follow? You got that? This is very complicated. He's about to start talking about something else. This is called a transitional section. All right, I'm glad we got that all broken down. Okay, no, that's very important. He's, he's, he's going to transition from talking about theology, all of these great things that we have in Christ, this wealth that we have in Christ, to talking about this walk that we must pursue because we have this wealth and glory in Christ. You see that in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, prisoner for the Lord, I write you, I urge you that you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's the entire letter right there in one verse, right? Walk worthy. He's been talking about our, our worth, the worthiness of our calling that we have been given in Christ, and now he's going to call us, urge us to walk. That, that is where Paul is. But he must stop right here before he even gets into this, because he must pray. He must pray, because, you see, living out the gospel is impossible without God's power. And God's power is received through our prayers. So Paul must stop right here and pray. It is essential. I mean, look at all the things that he's about to call you, Christian, to do. He is about to, in 4.26, tell you that you need an angry, an anger that's angry but not sinful. He's about to tell you in 4.29 that you need speech that is controlled, dominated by love, compelled by love, purposed in love. It's, it's a love that's seeking the other's highest good. That's what you need. You need speech like that. He's about to tell you in 5, 3 through 4, that you need a love that is, or a life that is untouched by sexual immorality. Not a hint of sexual immorality in your life. He's about to tell you in 5, 15 through 20, you need wisdom in your speech and in your life. You need intense wisdom from God because the days are evil. He's about to tell you in 5, 19 through 20, that you need to have attitudes of worship and attitudes of thanksgiving. And you need to have attitudes of humility. Notice there in verse 21, submitting to one another. This is an attitude of humility. He's about to tell you in 5.22 that you need to be a wife that submits. Not always easy. And then in 5.25, he's about to tell husbands that they need to selflessly love, selflessly serve. And then in 6.5, he's about to tell slaves and masters to have a totally transformed relationship. It's almost alien, strange behavior that they must have because of Christ. And then in 6.10, he's about to tell you that you need to stand in the midst of a powerful, terrifying, spiritual struggle. Who is able to do any of this? Have you ever been angry? How'd that go for you? Have you ever used your mouth at all? How'd that go for you? Have you ever stopped and thought about your attitude in any given moment? 
this is an impossible task. It is an incredible task. And to be frank, that is why Paul started with Ephesians 1 through 3, the theology, before he moved on to the application, because the, the theology of Ephesians really gives us, as you could say, foundations and roots to know how we can live this out. You see, in chapter 2, verse 5, he has shared with us that we are not the same people that we used to be. We, as it says in verse 5, have been, um, have been made alive together with Christ and in Christ. And he tells us in 2, verse 10, we have become the Lord's workmanship. We have become... His home remodel project. We have been dedicated to this from before the uh, beforehand. He's prepared this beforehand. But notice, he has created us in Christ Jesus for good works. And then this is breathtaking. In two nineteen, he tells us that we have been made the household of God. You've been made the dwelling place. Of God. That is how these things are possible. And so now in 14 and 15, Paul, before he approaches this application, because of these glorious riches that are ours in Christ Jesus, he must flatten himself in light of the need that believers have for the power of God in their life. You need God's power in your life to become essentially what you already are. You're raised with Christ, and now you need Christ's power to put on what you already are. Paul pr- prays, and he bends the knee. This is actually kind of unusual language. We always think of bending the knee when we pray, but actually, if you were to look at prayer in the Bible, sometimes you'd see them standing. Sometimes you'd see them on their face. But when they're bending the knee, primarily, it is usually a display of intense emotion and passion. This is something that Paul is being driven to. And from the tense of the verb, this is something that Paul is constantly, always doing. He's always praying for the church. He's always praying for other believers because he knows how much they need God's help to complete everything that God has for them, basically. Living out the truth of the gospel is impossible without God's power. Applicational aside, by the way. Do you notice how Paul is always just so aware of the spiritual needs of the people around him? Why, why is he always so attuned to this? Why is he always so ready to pursue the highest spiritual good for other people in his life? To show that love for other people, right? He's praying for them. Well, it's because he is praying for them constantly. That's how he knows and is attentive to their needs. And I, and I would say this to you. Your love for others, your love for others will only go as far as your prayer for others will go. Your, your prayer for others will expand your love for others. If you're struggling to love someone in your life, you need to start praying for them more than you speak to them or look at them. That is what you need to do. This is the first thing we need to do. We need to be flattened by our task. Let's look at the second thing. Um, Number two, receive outside strength for your inside problem. Receive outside strength for your inside problem. Verse 16. 
He, he, he begins his prayer right here directly. That's according to the riches of his glory. That's God the Father. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What do you need to complete the task that, that is before you? You need to be strengthened with the power that only comes through the Spirit. Essentially, you need God inside you to transform your will and your desires to become His wills and desires. You need to start thinking differently, but you need the Holy Spirit in you even to do that. And notice, this is a strength that comes through a person inside of you. You need a person in you. You don't just need you to become a better you. You need to have the Holy Spirit himself inside of you. And you need to be requesting the Holy Spirit inside of you to strengthen you. This is not, hey God, I think I can handle this on my own. It's no, God, I need you to come inside of me and transform me from the inside. That's what you need. But where do you need this? You need this at your spiritual and moral center, your control center, if you will. Notice where he says it, in your inner being. You need God at the kind of the control center of your life. You need God at the steering wheel of your life. You don't need your world to change. You don't need your situation to change as much as you need you to change. You need change and power and strength in your inner being, in the will and the desires in your heart. How do you receive this strength that is through the Holy Spirit? Well, this is God's power that we're talking about here. And I would say this, God's power is completely given to you for the pursuit of His will. So there's an encouraging thought. You know absolutely that God will give you what is according to His will. And we saw last week, actually, what is God's will for you? Your sanctification. So you're probably all on the right page here. You're like, wow, God wants me to be sanctified, and he will give me completely enough, everything that I need to be sanctified, and anything else that's according to his will. Well, what do you have to have? What kind of heart do you have to have to receive the Holy Spirit's power? You need an attitude, a right attitude, an attitude of submission, an attitude that is ready to receive power from outside of you, an attitude that says, I need someone else to strengthen me to do this. And you also need to pursue, to pursue actions. You need to pursue God's will. God's power, I would say, is operational in you to the degree that you are filled with God's word. That's right. The way you know God's will and the way the spirit is working in you is always to the degree to which you are filled and being filled with the word of God in your life. And I know this because, well, all throughout Ephesians, he's been talking about this in chapter 1, verse 17. He talks about how knowledge produces power. 17 all the way down through 19. The knowledge of God, the revelation and the knowledge of Him enlightens your eyes 
and it shows you the hope that you have and the immeasurable power that you have. Uh, power comes through knowledge. And then in 4.23, we're renewed in the spirit of our minds. We're renewed daily through knowledge. And then in 5.18, we are filled with the spirit and that results in kind of speaking words that's right. You see, when the Spirit works in your life to the degree that the Word is in your life and filling your life. We know that also from Colossians 3. And by the way, you know that you are filled with the strength of, in the, of the Spirit when you are living a life that is dominated by the Word of God. That's when you know the Spirit is powerfully at work in your life. Or to say it this way, to the degree to which... The Word of God is dominating your heart, your mind, your life, is the degree to which the Spirit of God is powerfully at work in your life. It's the degree to which you are free to pursue all that God has for you in Christ. What is coming between you and spiritual growth? It might be immaturity. It might be foolishness. It might be some sort of weakness, but I would say it is ultimately a problem between your ears. A mind change, a difference in the way you think about the world, always leads to a life change. This spirit wants to be operational in your innermost being through the, through the word of God to promote powerful change. You need outside strength for your inside problem. Let's look at the, another part to God's powerful plan of divine enablement. Number three, you need to hand over all of the keys. Hand over all of the keys. Here's where it gets... A little bit complicated. Verse 17 is the result of verse 16. You see that so that statement verse 17 starts out with? So that. What happens in verse 17 happens as a result of verse 16 happening. Right? So the Spirit is powerfully at work in your inner being, strengthening, changing, transforming you from within through the Word of God, and that will result in what is happening in verse 17. What does it say? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Look at that. When the, when the Spirit empowers, dominates, your inner control center, the part of you that makes you really you, that guides you, that directs you, when the Spirit is powerfully in control there, Christ is at home in your life. Christ makes His dwelling place in your life. Now, let me just clarify something here. This isn't talking about the way Christ makes his dwelling place in your life from day one of salvation. It's not that. Because, like I said, this is happening as a result of verse 16 that is being prayed actively and continually for believers. 
So this, this isn't what we see in Colossians 1.27, where it says, Christ is in you, the hope of glory, that is from day one. Or like we see in Romans 8, where Christ is in you, even though your body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And it isn't what Paul has already talked about in Ephesians 1.13, where he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him and were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it. It's a wonderful doctrine, right? That from day one of my salvation, the Spirit is sealing me, and Christ is in me as the hope of glory. It's wonderful. It's glorious, right? Me. Silly old me. Christ dwelling in me. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is talking about the result of continued sanctification in your life. To the degree, remember, to the degree that the Spirit is powerfully operational in your control center of your life, to, to the degree that the Spirit is controlling you through the Word of God, Christ enjoys dwelling in your life. What an amazing thought that Christ would want to be there. He's there, right? We know when, when we are believers and we sin that Christ is still there with us. He is displeased with us. And he is not as at home in our life as he desires to be, but he still persists with us. The Spirit is still with us. But when sanctification is working in our life, Christ dwells in your life. Christ makes his home in your life. You have this freedom and this joy of knowing Christ and him knowing you. And think about this. His will... His handiwork are written all over your life, right? His purposes, His intentions are in every part of your life. Everything in your life has been molded by His hand for His purposes, and He dwells there. You have peace because He dwells in your life. Every nook and cranny of your life is by His design and for His purpose. Or to say it this way, do you realize that you have been created by God? And every part of you has been created by God. Your height, your difficulty spelling, that might be a cause of the fall in me. Uh, but there, there are parts of your personality there are parts of your personhood, your strength, your weaknesses, your, all these specifications in you that are unique to you that God wants to sanctify and use in you. There are parts of your personality that will never be experienced by you if Christ is not the Lord of you. There, there are parts of your life where if Christ has his way and dwells in your life, you will stand back and you'll say, oh, wow, I, I, I never would have thought that God would have used me for this purpose. I never really thought he would have used silly old me to accomplish this end. But this makes sense. 
because the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. And now I see why he made me like this. Why he made me blind. Why he made me a cripple. Why he made me slower in some areas. God has intended all these things for his glory. And you can only experience this if you have handed over the keys of Christ or of your life to Christ. And this only comes when you are flat before God, seeking His strength through the Holy Spirit. This is Christ at home in your life. You are free. You are alive. You are a display of His kindness and grace. You are His precious, wise workmanship in Christ Jesus, created for good works. And I'm betting that most of you in this room have no idea how God wants to use the sanctified you. Let's move on to our next step in God's powerful plan of divine enablement. Be ready to demonstrate Christ's love. Be ready to demonstrate Christ's love. It continues to be complicated. Uh, Verse 17b all the way through 19 is the result or purpose of verse 17 and verse 16. So you see there, right there, halfway through 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a result of Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith, and that is a result of the Spirit being powerful and strong and dominant in your control center, in your inner being. What is the practical demonstration of Christ at home in your life? That's essentially what these verses are telling you. What does it look like to have Christ at home in control of your life? Well, first off, what do you see? Your life is a demonstration of God's stability. This is what it looks like to have Christ at home in your life. Your life is a demonstration of God's stability. You are rooted and grounded. Those are two metaphors of stability, right? Uh, Grounded means you have a good foundation. Your house is not going anywhere, right? You've moved out of the RV into a home, and that's a sign of stability. You're rooted. You're not a weed, you're, you're a tree, and you're going to produce things for a long period of time because you are rooted. In the same way, we are rooted and grounded in God. We have a stability in Him. And notice also what this produces um, in verse 18, uh, that you, rooted and grounded, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and, and depth. This is stability again. You need, isn't this ironic? You need God's strength to understand and know God's love to demonstrate God's love. You need God's strength to understand God's love and God's strength in order to seek God's strength and love to demonstrate God's love. Or to say it another way, you're really pathetic. (laughs) Right? And what what are we to know? What are we to enjoy? What are we to to understand? What is this, this breadth and length and height and depth? These are images of vastness, of unending expansiveness. What are we looking at here? We're looking at the endless, endless quality of God's love. The endlessness, the thickness, the durability 
of God's love for you in Christ. Or to say it like this man says it in a commentary I just read, God's love goes in every direction and to the greatest distance it goes wherever it is needed for as long as it is needed. We see God's breadth. We see God's breadth in how he loves so many people in Christ Jesus. We see God's love's length in how he chose us before the foundation of the world. We see God's height in how he has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing and seated us with him. And we see the depths of God's love in how he lowered himself to the lowest levels of the deepest depravity to redeem and save people like us. You see God's love all over the place. And God's love produces ultimate stability in your life. Because this God loves me, and his love is unshakable, and nothing can separate me from his love. I have stability, but this stability is not static at the same time. Another practical demonstration of Christ at home in your life is your life is a demonstration of love's activity. It's not just of God's stability in your life, but your love, your life will also be a demonstration of love's activity, Christ's activity, you could say. Christ is present and active in your life, at home in your life. His love for you, though, is meant to also flow through you. He, he will work, he will change, he will transform you. Matter of fact, look at what it says there in verse 18. You only know this, you only comprehend this with all the saints. So, so essentially, you cannot receive God's love in isolation. You, you cannot comprehend it by yourself you know that you know God's love when you show God's love. It was meant to be demonstrated. Because of God loving me so much, I must love others in a similar way. So these problem people in your life are actually opportunities given to you by God to know and enjoy and experience the height and the breadth and the depth and the length of the love of God. And you know the vastness of God's love for you. When you know that, you must respond with repentance to any attitudes of anger you have towards somebody in your life. And, and here's just a thought. Um, Ephesians 4 through Ephesians 6, all has to do with other people in your life. You can't do Ephesians 4 through Ephesians 6 without all of the saints. You don't know the love of God if you are living by yourself. It must be demonstrated. The gospel must be lived out because Christ is operational in you. And, and thirdly, a third practical demonstration of Christ at home in your life is your life is a demonstration of God's dominion. Your life is a demonstration that God owns you. Right? It's not one of those rickety old houses down the street that's dilapidated and out of repair. It's not neglected. It's not abandoned. No, somebody lives there. And somebody takes care of that place. Someone owns that place. Someone has dominion over that place. Your life will be a demonstration of God's control in your life. 
Notice what he says in verse 19. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To be filled with something means you're controlled, means you're influenced, it means you're demonstrated, uh, sorry, dominated, all under the blood. This is, by the way, what the Old Testament Christians or saints longed for. Do you realize that? If you read Psalm 119, if you read your Old Testament at all, you'll quickly become aware that they were longing for the day when the powerful Spirit of God would be present with them continually, helping them to love, helping them to know, helping them to obey constantly. When the Spirit of God would take up its residence in your life, and dominate your life so that you could be free to obey his word. That's what Psalm 119 is about, right? Lord, how I love your law, how I wish I could keep it, keep it, and keep it. You have that. If the Spirit is operational in your control center, Christ is at home in your life, God dominates your life. God fills your life. God controls it completely. That is what will be demonstrated in your life if Christ is at home in your life. One more thing, one one last part in God's powerful plan for your divine enablement. Request God's power. Request God's power. Once again, I have waited till the very end of this message to actually get to the actual doxology, which, if you want your money back, I'll give it to you at the door. All of it. Every last cent. But here we are. Remember last week we were in 1 Thessalonians 5. We saw that God's highest will for you is your sanctification, that you'd become like Christ. And we also saw that he is personally in pursuit of your sanctification. So there's great assurance there. But tonight even goes beyond that. We saw, we see God's high power, God's almighty power offered to you in pursuit of his will. God is personally going to pursue your sanctification and God offers you incredible power. Notice what it says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. I want you to take note of the first part there, to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Technically in Greek, you should take far more abundantly and you should collapse them together into one word. It is, it is a packed word, just all together there. It is a marker of extreme degree. It means exceedingly, infinitely, above and beyond and beyond that beyond. You, you could say it like this. Hey, it's easy. It's easy to measure God's power. This is all you do, Xander. This is all you do. You just take that tape measure and you just measure God's power to infinity. That's all you do. 
And then once you get there, you just take that tape measure and then you go infinitely beyond that. <laughs> beyond the beyond kind of sort of thing like that. You got me? You tracking? Easy. Easy. <laughs> it, God's power is far more abundantly, exceedingly beyond infinity. That doesn't make any sense in our minds. <laughs> doesn't make any sense coming out of my mouth. Basically what he's saying here is he's describing God's power that is offered to God's people as more. You see that there? God's power is more. Will you request it? God's power is more. It is more than you can even pray. Notice what he says. It's far beyond what you can ask. It is more than what you can even think. It is more than you can even dream up. It is more than your wildest imagination. This is what he says there. Think. God's power available to God's people is able to transform and change the most unlikely, unexpected situation or individual. That's God's power. Now the question is, the question is not, do you believe in God's power? The question is, really, do you want it? Do you want God's power tonight? Because to request God's power to change is to expect God's power to change. To request God's power to change is to say, I'm going to fill my mind and my heart with your word. I'm going to seek after the power of your spirit and not live in my own strength. I'm going to be fine with what you want to change in me and what you don't want to change in me. I'm going to live completely, totally for your glory. The question facing you tonight, do you want to request it? Are you after God's power to change in your life? He can change you from the inside, from the control center of your life. But that gets messy fast. And sometimes in God's will, Your weakness is what displays his power the most. Do you want it? Do you request it? It's there for the asking, but you have to request it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would be effective in our minds and in our hearts to transform us into the image of Christ Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.